What is going on, Restoration family? So glad that you could tune in. If this is your first time, welcome. We are so glad that you can be here. My name is Nate Huss, and I'm one of the pastors on staff. And uh, if this is your first time, welcome. We're so glad that you could tune in. Will you please take a moment just to grab your Bible, and we are going to dive in together. Church, there's a couple little adjustments in our time together today. Um, at the end of uh, our time, we're going to have a, a brief few moments of Q&A around uh, the trellis, which we'll get into more here in just a moment. And um, so every other seat or so, there should be a, maybe a white three by five card in the seat back pocket card in front of you, um, somewhere nearby, pen, pencil. If you've got a question about the trellis, uh, maybe that's brewing in your mind, um, Take time during the message, jot the question down. We'll collect those from you at the end, be able to answer those. Um, and uh, so just take that time. Don't feel like you're um, interrupting anything. If you need to jot the question down, um, we'll pass them forward. And uh, we won't answer any of the questions, but you can ask as many as you would, you would like. Um, We'll take what we can here today, and then if there's a better opportunity to answer some of the questions, um, either written or online or whatever, then we'll, we'll get to what we can. Um, if you haven't been with us for the last couple of weeks, Landon's been walking us through the trellis, and the trellis is uh, tied to vision for Restoration Church uh, for this upcoming year. And the trellis is basically a structure. You look behind me, there's some trellises on the wall here. Other trellises are built to give kind of a framework or structure uh, for something to grow upon it. And um, I like structures that help things grow. I like structures that take you somewhere as opposed to structures that trap you. You know, there are different kinds of structures. I like the ones that, that take you somewhere, like a bridge. Uh, a bridge you can travel across. It can allow you to get from here to there over maybe even some obstacles that you couldn't cross otherwise. A bridge is a helpful structure to take you somewhere. A ladder is another structure to help you get from down here to up there. It's a helpful structure to take you somewhere. Um, lysosomes. Oh, man, lysosomes are cool. I love lysosomes. I, I, I studied about them all week long this week because uh, I have no life whatsoever. Um, I really have no clue what a lysosome is until I Googled what are some parts of the cellular structure. What are some structures inside of our cells? And it turns out lysosomes are one of the structures inside of our cells, and they're kind of known as the garbage disposal of the cell. They filter out the waste of a cell. They play a really functional part as a part of the cell structure in filtering out junk. See, even that as a structure has some useful purpose to do something, uh, to take you somewhere, to bring some healing, as opposed to structures that trap uh, you think of a structure like a prison. You think of a structure like a cage. You think of a structure like Facebook. <laughs> These are unhealthy structures that, that just trap you in and don't necessarily lead anywhere good. But for us, the trellis is a bit of a structure. But my favorite part about it is it's a structure that I believe 
leads us somewhere good where Jesus is. And it's, it's one that God will allow us to do together. And, and I'm so excited about that because it's about allowing Jesus to better develop who we are as individuals and together. When you think about it, um, so many times, think about all the different things that you could belong to. You can belong to churches. You can belong to uh, clubs. uh, You can belong to organizations. But it's possible to belong somewhere without necessarily becoming more of this, that, or the other thing. And that's one thing if it's just an organization. But when you belong to a church but are not becoming more of who God's called you to become, then I think it should make us think a little bit. And one of my favorite things about the trellis is the trellis is just a structure that helps us grow more to who God wants us to become together. It has more to do with becoming than it does necessarily with just belonging. And that's what's got me excited about it, because I have so much in me and together that I would love to see God mold and shape me in and mold and shape us in as we march forward together. The trellis, uh, if you haven't been around the last couple of weeks, are built around six elements. And these six elements of the trellis are ways of Jesus. There are things that Jesus encouraged And they help you find the goodness of Jesus when you practice these things. And here are the six by way of of reminder. Uh, We're going to process what it would look like to make a year-long commitment together to practice hospitality. But for us, we're couching that in. What does it look like if you would commit to having a meal with someone once a week? Practice hospitality. Practice fellowship as you intentionalize uh, relationship over a meal. Practice hospitality. Then practice generosity. As Landon framed it last week, what would it look like to commit to a year to give financially 10% somewhere? It may not be here. But to be open-handed with the resources that God has given you, and not just open-handed, but generous in the giving Uh, to organizations, maybe it is here, maybe it is somewhere else, but out of the abundance of what we've been given, then to give back. I love 10% because that's God's way of saying, hey, you get 10 things, keep nine, be generous with one. I don't even know if that's qualified as generosity, but that's a good start. And so we practice generosity, practice repentance. What does it look like for us to commit to a year? to confess to someone else, a trusted friend or family member, a spouse, every single week. To be honest about areas that we're struggling in, temptations, sin, and find confession there and and lift that up to the Lord together. Practice repentance. Practice prayer. What would it look like on a similar note to pray with someone else every single week? at least one person every single week. Uh, Open up your heart to the Lord with somebody else in communion with God in prayer. Practice 
Sabbath rest? What would it look like to commit to a year of weekly 24-hour Sabbath rest as a way to having enjoyed six full days of work to enjoy God intentionally for one 24-hour period and really rest in him. Leave the junk behind and rest in him. How many days in a year are there? 365. What if you gave 52 of your precious 365 to resting in God. It doesn't sound so different. When I say once a week, 24 hours, I don't know how I can possibly shut down. But when I think about out of 365, I'm going to give you 52 to rest. This is part of God's good design for us. What would it look like to practice Sabbath rest? And then lastly, practice cultivating. What's it look like to cultivate some of the kingdom of God outside of these walls? And in our terminology, we're looking, what does it look like to commit maybe for a year to serve in an organization, serve somewhere in the community outside of the church? What's it look like to coach AYSO? What's it look like to serve the elderly population or serve the homeless population or uh, maybe go act in a play at Yavapai College if you're gifted in that regard and, and be planted out in the community, and let the light and love of Jesus shine as we're as intentional out there as we are about what we do in here, cultivating the kingdom of God wherever we are. And these six things, they're not an exhaustive list, but they're a great start. They're a great place to help Jesus as we practice these things take us into some really good places where Jesus is. He's there as we rest. He's there as we confess. He's there as we pray. He's there as we're cultivating. He's he's in all of these places leading us to good, good things. Philippians chapter 2. If you have your Bible, open up to the book of Philippians chapter 2 because there's some great thoughts that I think really undergird a lot of the trellis for us. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Paul writing to these believers in Philippi, it turns out the Philippian believers were worth following their example. The Philippians were doing a a pretty darn good job. Their their community of Christians, their, their following of Jesus was worth modeling. Look at verse 12. Paul says, so then, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Turns out the Philippians were good at obedience. A part of the ability that they had to shine the light of Jesus was that they were taking God seriously, and by God's grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit, they were obeying Jesus. And not just when Paul was around and not just when they thought God was watching, but they valued obeying God and valued obeying God's word. And as a result, that was an encouragement to Paul. It was encouragement to the other believers. It was a big deal. But even in their obedience and faithfulness, look, Paul, Paul encourages them to work out their salvation. 
You, you might have heard that phrase before, read this verse before. What does that mean to work out your salvation in fear and trembling, no less? It, it's really just a reference to having an awe and respect of, of God who did save you. But what's it talk about to work out your salvation? Well, I can tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that you're working for your salvation. There's a difference, right, between how you received your salvation and how salvation works itself out or is applied in your life, right? There's a difference between how you received salvation. How did you receive salvation? By being extra good? By doing all the good stuff and avoiding all the bad stuff? No. We received our salvation through faith, by grace, because Jesus stood in the place, took the sin of the world on himself, and then rose from the dead, conquered sin and death to be alive in you. We are saved when we put our faith and trust in Jesus. We're saved when we repent of our sin and trust him as the way and the truth and the life. And so it's not us that... that made us deserving of our salvation. We received our salvation because of God. Look at what he says next. For it is God working in you, verse 13, to both desire and to work out his good purpose. In Philippians chapter 1, Paul has already said, I am confident that he who began a good work in you is going to be faithful to carry it on to completion. So it's God that's working. It's God that's enabling. It's God that started the work. It's God that's going to carry it on to completion. Who's really at work with your salvation? God. And yet, we're called here to work out our salvation. In other words, there is a working out of what God has already worked in you and me, in your salvation. There's an applying of what God has already done in here, in a new identity. There's an application of it. There's, there's some life that comes. There's life that changes as a result of you being saved by God. Think about this. Let's say that I'll do it tomorrow. I'm going to deposit $1 billion in every single one of your bank accounts. Okay, yeah, that's a good day, right? That's probably a good several decades. Now, you didn't work for it. You didn't earn it. Um, and I know you. You didn't deserve it. But I did it anyway. I made the money. I did the work to make the deposit. I figured out how to link it up with your bank account. It was a direct deposit, and it's already there. Well, now that's a tremendous work that you had nothing to do with, and yet it's now in your account. There are some things now that you would probably need to figure out about how to apply what is now in your bank account, to use what's in your bank account, to invest what is in your bank account. See, salvation is kind of similar. God did all the work. He did this major change in your heart and your life. And yet now there's a working out of that 
reality that my life has changed. My heart has changed. I, I have the Holy Spirit alive in me. I've got his grace and his mercy. I've got his Holy Spirit on tap every single day. I've inherited a ton. And now that's going to work its way out of me. But I love here that, that we get to do it together. He says, work out your salvation. And when you hear that, you, you tend to think, because it says your salvation, you think just you, individual. Except the interesting thing apart about this in the original language here, the your here is plural. It's not singular. When Paul calls the Philippians to work out their salvation, he's talking to all of them. In other words, there's this weird part of us being saved by Jesus together. Salvation is a community project. At least the working out of it. At least how it comes to fruit in our life. It's a community project. There's something that when we link arms together as brothers and sisters in Christ, that when we're pursuing him and practicing the way of Jesus together, that it kind of, it, it's a catalyst, it's a spark, it sets into motion a great deal of what God has already, already planted in each of us individually. It's like a community of Christians is God's laboratory for working out God's purposes. And the trellis helps us in that regard. It's a bit of a structure, God-given, these amazing attitudes and habits and practices that God's given us to grow in Christ-likeness and to do it together. What a, what a special gift. Look at verses 14 through 16. Then he goes on to say, do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may be blameless and pure children of God who are, a faultless, who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world, holding firmly to the message of life or the word of life. He says, do everything without grumbling and arguing. Now, Paul is talking to the Philippians. He's talking to them in their context, in their day. And he recognizes they were in the midst of a crooked and perverted generation in the first century. And he's writing. And oh, here we go. Here we go. You're in a crooked and perverted generation. But he's also saying, don't argue and grumble. What, what you know about God's people um, in the scriptures, is there ever any moment where God's people argued or grumbled or complained or whined? <laughs> See, Paul's doing a little bit of a throwback here to the people of God, even way back to pre-Egypt slavery and post-Egypt slavery. Remember when God delivers them out of slavery in Egypt and heads them toward the promised land, but they're wandering through the desert? They've just passed through the Red Sea. They've just been rescued from slavery, and they end up wandering in the desert. What's one of the first things they do? Whine and complain and argue. And how did that help them stand out 
in their culture of their day. Whining, arguing, complaining. It, it didn't. They were the people of God. They were meant to reflect to surrounding nations a little bit of what God would be like, a little bit of what kingdom people would be like. And yet they were often known for a lot of not so great things. They were also surrounded in the midst of a crooked and perverted generation. It turns out we have lived in a middle of a crooked and perverted generation, generation after generation after generation after generation. Here we are in 2022. And we are also in a crooked and perverted generation, are we not? And yet, listen to me now. When we read these words, do everything without grumbling and arguing, and you can be the children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, we go, you're right, everything is horrible, the culture's bad, the world's bad, the generation's bad, everything is bad. But looking at how Paul is phrasing this and wording this here, the focus is not for us, it wasn't for the Philippians, it wasn't for us to focus on how bad everything is. The focus was to be on how we can shine as God's people in the midst of some not so good days. What would it look like for me and you to shine? Embrace the stuff of the culture that is good. Change some of the stuff that isn't. I think that's what Paul has in mind. I think that, that's what God has in mind for us. What does it look like for us to, to shine? When Daniel gets led into captivity with the Israelites into Babylon hundreds of years after they'd been slaves in Egypt. They find themselves as captives in Babylon. Now they're swallowed up in another crooked and perverted culture. And yet how did Daniel and his buddies stand in the midst of that generation, in the midst of that culture? I would argue better than previous generations. They knew where to fit in, where to embrace, and they knew when to stood up, stand up and speak up. And I love that about them. They, they had an impact on that generation. They shined, which I think in Daniel chapter 12, I'll just read it to you really quick. Daniel chapter 12, the very end of the book of Daniel, the last half of Daniel gets very prophetic. It starts speaking about the end times. And in Daniel chapter 12, this is said about God's people during end times. Dan Daniel 12, verse 3. Those who are wise will shine like the bright expanse of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. I want to shine. I want to shine like the stars in the heavens. Yes, we're in some rough days. Yes, we can be in rough cultural moments. Yes, there's a lot of darkness and junk around us, but all the more reason for us to step up and shine. Shine our light. Shine the light and the love of Jesus. Yes, when we're gathered here together, but when we scatter... I want to shine Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday as well 
as when we're here together on Sundays. And that's why I get so excited even about what the trellis has to offer because engaging with Jesus more and more allows me to shine. I want to shine. I've got this huge heart for Cambodia for some reason. I grew up in Long Beach, California. Long Beach, California has the highest Cambodian population in the world outside of Cambodia itself. And so I think that was part of the spark that gave me a little bit of heart for the Cambodian people. A ton of my best friends growing up were Cambodian. And then I've got to go to Cambodia a couple of times in the last few years. And it's just got a place in my heart. But I got to tell you, when I go to Cambodia, I shine. Not like you think I'm talking about. <laughs> but I got to tell you, you think about it for just a minute. One, the Cambodian people um, do not have pale, translucent, ham-colored skin like I do. They, they, I've not seen one bald Cambodian. And Cambodians are not tall people. They are all... So when I get off the plane in Cambodia, and it's 140 degrees with 370% humidity, this ham head starts to sweat, and I shine like the stars in heaven. And I just walk down the streets of Siem Reap or Phnom Penh, and all these Cambodian people, oh... What is this? But imagine, imagine what that would look like in a, in a good way. Not in a repulsive, disgusting way like with me. For us as followers of Jesus to be so enraptured by the love of Jesus and the love that we have for each other, that there's a spark that happens when we're here together. There's a spark that happens when we're together with each other throughout the week. And it just keeps those spiritual fires burning and lit really brightly in us as we're attached to Jesus, we're attached to each other. And that wherever we are, then we are shining like the stars. I love that picture. I love that both Daniel says stars, plural. I love that Paul in Philippians 2 says stars, plural, because one shining star is pretty sweet. But when you've been out in the dark, away from uh, light, and the entire night sky is just a sea of brilliant, beautiful, bright stars, it has a huge impact. And so I, I get excited when I think about what just walking in the way of Jesus through some of these practices and others might do in keeping us lit spiritually and allowing our light to shine in the midst of wherever we are. Just a couple of reminders. A couple of reminders as we dive into the trellis as you're praying and processing about whether or not the trellis is something that you would like to commit to for uh, this year. Um, there's probably a lot of questions, a lot of different things that you, you, did, you got questions about. Um, there are these booklets that we've put together. There's some in the back there. Um, if we run out and back, then you can get it on the church website. A full PDF is downloadable. But we walk through all six 
of these commitments that we're uh, just proposing that you would consider. Uh, Because for the rule followers of you, you're listening to these and you're going, well, but is it okay to, well, what if I don't want to eat out? Can I eat at home? What if I don't want people in my home? What if I want to eat out? Or what if I miss a week? Is Jesus going to hate me? Or, you know, I get it. I'm more of a rule follower. So I like to have all the, you know, questions answered. Others of you are going, I'll commit to this thing. And then you don't need to know what I'm doing. That's between me and Jesus. If I follow the rules, that's up to me. Okay, I get that. We're all different. But there's a lot of good info in here that you might want to, to check out. Here's four hopefully helpful reminders about the trellis as, as we dive in, and then we'll open it up for a couple of questions. First uh, reminder would be, hey, just focus on the heart or spirit of trellis. This is definitely one of those things. Focus on the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. When it comes to the trellis, focus on the heart behind it, the spirit of it, Do not turn this into a legalistic letter of the law sort of thing that the enemy uses to trap you. This is a structure to lead you somewhere, not to trap you. So focus on the heart of it. What is the heart of it? The heart of it is, here are a handful of attitudes and practices that really are the way of Jesus. They are encouraged by Jesus, and they'll lead you to good places where Jesus is and help you grow. That's the heart of it. If you can't do a meal every single week and you miss one and you've committed to 52 and you got 48 in, are you going to hell? Does Jesus hate you? No. The heart of it is entirely different. The heart is there's some good things for us as followers of Jesus to do that Jesus knows are good and they'll help in our journey. Keep that the the focus. Are you all going to have the exact same trellis then? No. Because some of you are empty nesters. Some of you have little kids. Some of you are in between. Some of you are single. Some of you are married. Some of you uh, don't work. Some of you are in school. And your lives all look different. And so you're going to have to figure out how to apply the heart of these things to your context, your own framework. So Just focus on the heart behind it here and not the the letter of the law. Second, I'd say you're going to have to embrace your own rhythms and routines, your own habits with regard to uh, the trellis. The trellis, these six, it's just enough structure to hopefully create some habits and some rhythms in your life. You know how if you don't do something enough, it doesn't become a way of life. It doesn't become a habit. If you do it too much and too legalistic, then it can be crushing. Have you ever done one of those like crash diets? I'm not going to eat anything for the next month. No sugar for the next 10 years. How well did that work for you? Have you ever done like a death by exercise sort of thing? (laughs) Oh, I'm going to join CrossFit and move tractor tires every day, flop them down the street or whatever. And then you do that like one day and you're like, this is the worst. I'm never working out another day in my life. The trellis is meant to be sustainable. And you're going to have to contextualize again some of these things that fit your rhythm and your routine. I just kind of want to remind you that with your own rhythm and routine, the reality is you guys 
I would imagine that you're doing several of these practices already, at least some version of them. I mean, most of you eat between 14 and 21 times a week. And we're just saying, hey, could you carve out one and be intentional about it with somebody else? Yeah, probably. Is it at home or out? Okay, well, you, you figure that out. That's fine. Well, I don't have any money. Okay, well, then just get together and uh, we'll get Pringles for you or whatever and enjoy. <laughs> I, it's, that's, that's great because what? The spirit of it is the relational. It's the fellowship. Uh, your, your finances, your habits, whatever that, that can help reinforce this will be uh, helpful. Um, but I would say lastly on this one, is this is kind of key. I think our heart, I know my personal heart for me, just between me and the Lord, is that I want to adopt the way of Jesus as my life. I want my life to be swallowed up in his life not just figure out how to cram Jesus into my life. And if you're in a spot where this feels like you're just cramming Jesus into your life in six kind of exhausting ways, wait. But if you're at the spot, you're going, you know what, there are some things going on, there's some stuff I'd like to see happen, and I I think the Lord is connecting some dots here with me that adopting some of these practices would allow my life to get swallowed in his life, then maybe you're ready to dive in. Third, I just say find peace whether or not this is the year for you to do trellis. Find peace about that. Be praying about it. Be talking with the people closest to you about it. And see if you've got peace one way or the other. If, if you talk about it, you go, gosh, this is going to take some adjusting. It's going to take some big commitment. Um, but I, I think I feel peace that God's going to meet us where we're at. Let's go for it. Then, then by all means, go for it. Or if you process it and go, you know what? I don't think I can commit to this this year for whatever reason. That's okay. Hear, hear me on this. If this is not the year to step up to this, This is not a requirement, and you will not be excluded from Restoration Church if you're not making a commitment to the trellis for this year. Jesus still loves you. God still loves you. He's going to meet you where you're at, and maybe you come around next year and reconsider if things are changed or, or different. And then lastly, I would just say, Keep in mind that the word, the word of God, is foundational to the trellis. Just this week, looking over the six, it was like, hey, why, why aren't we practicing like time in the word of God? Why, why, of all things, to help me grow, why isn't the word of God one of those commitments? Well, here's a couple of things on that. One is, um, that is so foundational, I guess... In some part, we're assuming that you're kind of in the word on your own. That doesn't go away. This list of six is not exhaustive. This isn't all the things that you could participate in to help you grow. These six happen to be more relational in nature. 
They happen to do with your relationship with the Lord and the relationship with others. And this six might change. We might get into next year, and one of them may rotate out, another one may drop in. But when it comes to the word, the word of God is foundational. And every single one of these practices, in some way, shape, or form, came from the word. And then get this, you can bring the word into any of these six, right? If you meet with somebody for prayer, you can pray the word of God together. If you're having fellowship over a meal, you could study the Bible. You can have a conversation about the word. This isn't separate from the word. The word is just so foundational. We, we didn't get into salvation. We didn't get into discipleship. We didn't get into witnessing. Are those all really key functional aspects of the Christian life? You bet. But this isn't exhaustive for here, but doesn't mean just because it's on the list we don't do it. These are areas we're focusing on. But the word is key and important for them all. The only thing I'd say that gets me so excited about this is probably like you, having been around church for a long time, when there comes a moment where we start to focus on growth um, of, of individuals growing up in Christ, a lot of times what ends up happening is we just say, okay, here's what we need to do. If you're really committed, if you're really core, then you need to start attending here and you need to give here and you need to join a small group here and you need to join a men's Bible study here and a men's Bible study here and another Bible study here and you need to serve here. What, what's in common with all those? Here. And that's fine. There's a lot of amazing stuff. I'm not knocking any of those things and we really do want you here. But the focal point rather than here, is me, you, and Jesus growing up somewhere, going somewhere good together. The growth is in becoming who God wants me to become. And we'll link arms together. And some of what God's doing in us might have to do with what goes on here, but how cool would it be if even more of what God's doing in us occurs on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday as we all just shine like the stars in the heavens by just saying, okay, okay, Lord, I want your way of life to consume my way of life. And I want to do it with some friends and some family. Let's see what God does. Cool. Awesome. Um, all right. Question time. So take a moment. Um, we're going to invite Landon up here and uh, we'll tag team answering some questions for you. Um, so take a moment and jot down any questions that you have on those cards that are available. And in just a minute, we'll pass them to the center aisle and Nate will grab them. While you're writing up questions, and, and Nate will grab those in a second, like Ron said, about 12 months ago, I think, uh, I had the privilege with, with Ron standing here to announce that Ron was going to be uh, with us, collaborating, teaching some, uh, being a part of what we do here, 
and that has been uh, a joy for, for the past 12 months for a lot of different reasons. But today, uh, we kind of get to move to the next phase of, of what that looks like. And we didn't know this was going to happen necessarily, but I personally am super thankful. Ron is a dear friend who's taught me a lot over the last uh, decade, and it's been fun to get to collaborate with him over this past year. But now, Ron is going to be fully here. He and his family have made that decision. Yeah, that is absolutely uh, worthy of, of celebration. And I'm excited about it for a, a few. Ryan, I'm not just full transparency. I'm not as excited as Ryan is. Okay. Pretty excited, but not quite that excited. Um, no, it's going to be really good. Obviously, Ron is, is gifted in so many ways. His family is a gift. But just to follow Jesus together, like what happens here is good, but to follow Jesus together uh, as he leads us in this next season will be a joy. There will be challenges and hurdles, but it's something I uh, know that God has led and I'm looking forward to together. So thank you for that. The elders uh, laid hands on Ron and prayed over him this past uh, gathering. But if you guys would just lift a hand, I'd love to, to do that uh, again. Father, thank you for Ron. Thank you for Anna, for Braddock and Brody and Leilani, for Cynthia, God, for the, the gift that they are. I pray your grace upon them, your mercy. God, I pray that you would bring health in this new season of ministry, that you would lead us all together as we all follow you together. We love you. We seek this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks, my little Cambodian. Yes. That's why he likes it here so much, because I walk up and he feels like he's there. I still have most of my hair. So. Yeah, you do. You're good. Nate, can you... Grab cards. <laughs> All right. If you got oh, questions, why don't yeah, you put them into the middle, Ron's pass the them into the middle center aisle. If you've got none, then uh, then you are you've made my day. Perfect. What? You'll do a card for the oh man, oh, no! Don't turn in any questions. I want to yeah. see that. <laughs> While you're passing those in, uh, we can hit a couple of these really quick from the uh, the last gathering. One of them was this for hospitality. Can it be going out with someone every week instead of having someone over? And then part two, is it a different person or family every week? I thought that was a, a really good question. And this kind of speaks to what Ron talked about, the heart and the spirit of the structure more than the, the letter of the law. And so absolutely, it could be going out uh, with somebody. There are many times that that is just simpler and easier and in many ways better. I, I do think there's something significant about the hospitality of having somebody into your home. Does it need to be every week? No. But building that in every once in a while, there's something different uh, about welcoming them into the home. And so there's a value there that's added. It's saying there, there's a level of, of trust and intimacy and vulnerability that's healthy, uh, I think, to the way of Jesus. So no, it does not need to be in your home every week or even most weeks. But every now and then, I think there's health in that. And then the follow-up, is it a different person or, or family every week? Really, this is for you to, to figure out. Maybe it would be cool to have a rotation of, of people throughout the months and really get to know them. Maybe you're the type of people that want to have 52 different people over. Maybe it's only going to be two. There's a lot of different ways to go about this, and however you do, I think will be good. But getting into this habit of practicing hospitality, I think, is something that will transform us in healthy ways. Cool. Um, we could tackle this one. Um, 
Do domestic chores count as work on the Sabbath, or should we focus all on rest? That's a great question. My initial thought is that's a really long answer, and so I would encourage you, if you haven't, to uh, do our Sabbath practice that we'll be doing, I think, in April, and it'll be, I think it's four weeks long, all on the, the practice of Sabbath. I would say that that's up to you. Based on the fact that you used the word chore, I would say that that probably should be avoided. Uh, so the, the simplest way I know to work through Sabbath is to, to ask this question. I talked about it briefly last week. Is it work? Is it wanting? Or is it worrying? Any of the things that fall into those categories, try to save for a different 24 hours. And that's, that's not easy. It means you've got to work harder the day before and the day after so that you don't have to work, worry, or want. And without fail, like for Chelsea and I, my wife, this is like our highest point of conflict right now, which is actually a great blessing. But we struggle with that. Like it is brutal on a Saturday for us to see all of the millions of things that need done and go like, nope, not today. Somehow we're not going to do that. Or to sit at breakfast and be like, what color are we going to do that? Or let's go to Home Depot and buy this and fix that. There's a million things. But there's something about saying, no, we're not going to do that. And we're going to delight in the kids and our family and time together that is really transformative and valuable. So long answer. The short version is, I think you're the only one that can answer that. But if it's a chore, probably not. And then similar, is Sabbath Sunday or Saturday or does it matter? Doesn't matter at all. I do think the, the key is 24 hours. And so I think God designed us. We've talked about that quite a bit over the, the past few weeks. And he designed us for rhythm. If you read throughout the scriptures, especially the Old Testament, you see all of the holidays and rituals and ceremonies that God put in. His people didn't. God said, do this. Daily, weekly, monthly, annually, every seven years, there's these rhythms. And there's something from the very beginning where he says, after the sixth, on the seventh, he rested. Uh, and so I, I don't think it matters at all what day of the week it is. It isn't spiritual and that sort, but something in our humanity that resets and is better off if we take 24 hours. And the, maybe there is some more science to this in the, the Sabbath practice. You can read or, or learn more about it. But I think there's something about like 24 hours that it takes that amount of time to reset, to let go. It's like going on a vacation. If it's five days, like day four, you're like, okay, I'm here now. And then it's over. It takes like 20 hours to actually like settle and be and rest. Yeah, I think that's good. Cause there's, there's several questions regarding Sabbath. So between the Sabbath practice material and then the, the trellis book that's there, That'll help with some of your, your questions. Um, this one added, can you give examples of what your Sabbath rest looks like? Um, I think for, for your radar too, when it comes to um, making a commitment to this trellis, meaning I'm going to uh, commit to these six things for this year. I mean, we didn't really talk about this, but I think like if you made that commitment and let's say the Sabbath one in particular took you most of the year to figure out, wouldn't that be worth your year? Let's say the first six months, you didn't knock out of the part that great, but you were trying and you still did some chores the first six months. And then you're like, gosh, I figured out now how to will this away, or I can do the chores over here. Or it looks like God's provided time that I don't even know where it's coming from. Um, then that's still worth it. 
Um, the perfection right out of the gates, again, that would be not the heart of the, the trellis, but let these things kind of do their work in you over time. The other part to answer about our specific um, Sabbath rest or whatever is uh, for sure, Landon, maybe a couple of us will be available for those of you that are making the trellis commitment for coaching uh, throughout the, the year. And so that might be the exact type of thing that when you sit down as an individual or as a family to talk about, you might want to talk about, gosh, the Sabbath one, that's the one I'm having the hard time with. Can you tell me what you do? And, uh, and then kind of work through it. So rather than bog it down with going into it here, go ahead. Nope. Go for it. Um, is it going to be, I think you might have answered part of this already, but is it going to be dinner with different people every week? And should it be people outside of the church? Yeah, again, however you want to do that, craft it and, and make it yours. Uh, I think another uh, point of emphasis, though, is that people of different types, diversity of religion, political ideologies, Christians, non-Christians, uh, a mixture of that's what we see Jesus put into practice. And, and so I think that's how we should do it, too. Seriously, like almost all these were Sabbath, so we may need to do a Sunday Well, really on quick that, then, know? too. For the, to answer that question while you kind of curate the next one. In 30 seconds, for my family, it's waking up together slowly, then always start with coffee. Typically, breakfast is really necessary. So uh, the days that I've found Sabbath goes best is when we start by going out to eat somewhere. And it just kind of sets the tone. We don't have a ton of dishes to do, and it's just healthy. And so we'll do that. We'll come home. My wife loves to hike, and so on those days, I, I try to do something outdoors with my family, even though it's not my favorite, and so we'll go out and hike. Um, at some point in the day, we love to just read the scriptures with the kids. They each have their own Bible that's kind of unique, so if I can find a moment with all of them or separately, and I'm talking two minutes, but it's just good. And then we'll usually end the day with a, we call it a thankfulness circle, so Every week will vary it a little bit. Sometimes it's what's one thing that just stands out this week that you're uh, thankful for, or maybe it's three things, and everyone will just take a turn trying to instill gratitude. Um, so instead of wanting, what are things that we have gratitude for? So very simple, um, but it ends up being one of the just best days for us of playing games together, maybe having someone over, um, or going out to eat. Just fun, good, restful day. Cool. You can take a look at that. I'll take a stab at this one. Um, how do you find a brother or sister in Christ to do weekly confession with? Um, that's big, um, especially because you're not just looking for someone with a pulse or a warm body, especially when it comes to confession. They need to be trusted. Um, and so, uh, again, um, if you don't have anyone that comes to mind right off the bat who's trusted in your life, family or friend, um, this doesn't have to be in town. Um, it could start with somebody that is very trusted, deep friend, and they're out of state or they're out of town or whatever. Um, it it's still starts. And then over the course of this year, um, hopefully we can do some sort of uh, the more we hear about where you guys are at and where others are at, there's opportunities to connect. I would take opportun the opportunities like the social Sundays and like um, practice groups. Um, the more that you're connected internally here in those ways that we've got, that'll help you build relationship, find people that are trustworthy, and then it might spring um, from there. And then we'll see how we can help 
otherwise, if, if you're getting into it and you're going, I still can't find anybody, um, then we, we'll roll up our sleeves and get in. Is this the last one? No. No, it's just one more. Okay, uh, the first week you mentioned structures for growing already mature believers uh, who are often overlooked for the new. What does that look like? Uh, I'd say both growth and health are the, the targets there. So often the, the church is in the building program, et cetera, uh, ends up being something that just calls for your time, your money, your commitments, your gifting constantly. And 5 to 10% of the people that show up on a Sunday fund 90 to 95% of what's happening in terms of finances, in terms of volunteer slots, in terms of all of the things. And so those mature, if we want to call it that, people give and give and give, and then they, they burn out. There's this cycle. And so part of it's going Sabbath. And what you might need Sabbath from is volunteering in the church. And that's okay. Like, that's good. Um, that's a part of it. A part of it is not only giving relationally. So there's many times in the scriptures where we see Jesus tell his disciples, you just did all of these things. Let's get away for you to rest. In addition to the Sabbath, they already embraced. And so Jesus works hard to find that. We need to do that. I think we have a tendency in the church to try to be Jesus instead of to be like and to follow Jesus. And so we get a savior complex and we go and go and go. And sometimes he just says, rest. And so part of it in these meals and the confession and the prayer together is, is finding like-minded people instead of just pouring out to others, people that will pour into you as well. And I think when we have this dinner and celebration in this core group, you'll, you'll find peers of that sort that you can really learn to lean on instead of just having people leaning on you. Yeah, that's great. A couple of these aren't necessarily chalice-related. Like we can address individually for sure. Um, and there's one here that was just, what if I do not work out my salvation with fear and trembling? Um, it's a good question. Um, so need to distinguish a little bit, again, of the working out um, from your actual salvation, how you received it. Um, if indeed you have really received salvation, the Lord has actually rescued you and saved you, and you have invited him into the driver's seat of your life, then we go back to scripture. He said he started it. He will be faithful to carry it on to completion. He said he's the one enabling you to grow and to desire to grow. So he's going to be doing the work. So there's going to be seasons where you're going, I, I can't even work it out. I don't want to work it out. Well, guess what? Thank goodness. God's still working on you anyway. He's still working in you anyway. And he's, you're not going to thwart that. Now, when it comes to uh, allowing some of what he's done in here to make its way out in that regard, um, then I think... Um, You've just got to wrestle with that. What are some of the things that help me build that intimacy with the Lord and allow him more room and more space to work it out? If you're stiff-necked and stubborn in, in saying, you will not do anything in me, you need to come back to who Jesus is. You need to come back to who he says he is and the relationship that he wants with you and just process that. That doesn't make you bad or horrible or anything, but you just come back to your relationship with Jesus and um, you, you, need, you need Jesus, not a behavior change. 
So just keep that in mind and you'll, you'll be good to go. But that's what we're all here for too, to help along that journey. Cool. That's great. So what we want to do now is encourage you, invite you to pray over the, uh, the next two weeks to decide if you or you and your family want to join and participate with us uh, in this one-year commitment. There will be an end date. Uh, in two weeks, we'll let you know the, the date of a, a dinner, a ceremony, a celebration where we will, those of us that want to participate in this, commit together for that year. And, and we'll talk in more detail about uh, what it'll look like, how we're going to come alongside of you. But we're excited to, to take those steps together because Jesus is good and his way of life is good and he's going to work in this in visible uh, and powerful ways. So uh, pray about that. We'll give you that date in two weeks, but take the next two weeks to, to go ahead and do that. If you have further questions, feel free to, to see me or email one of us. Uh, this will be a great resource for you if you want to kind of in writing get more of what this can and, and will look like. I want to close this morning uh, by, by taking communion together as one body. So uh, go ahead and grab the elements on either the right or the left uh, side of me here. Don't take them yet, though. We're going to take it together as one body and then sing one last song as we close this morning. last few people will return to their seats. Undoubtedly, uh, the most exciting, the best part of, of this vision and of, of what Jesus is calling some of us into is Jesus himself, is the fact that he is victorious over sin, over death, over Satan. There's nothing that he cannot and will not conquer out of love. And so uh, I think it's appropriate today to close our time worshiping him in song, but also as one body, as one family, taking communion. And so go ahead and, and take the, the wafer representing his body, recognizing that he gave it up out of love for us, that his sacrifice is immense because he loves his people, his body that much. Go ahead and, and take the bread. We then look at the cup symbolizing and, and representing the blood of Jesus. And we remember that not only did he give up his blood for us, but that he rose three days later. Again, he is conquering still. It's not done. He conquered and he is conquering. And so whatever is going on in the midst of our lives, whatever will be going on as we charge into and surge into new territory following Jesus, he is the one doing the work. Let's go ahead and, and take the cup now, knowing that the power that rose Jesus from the dead is alive and well, uniting us this morning. Jesus, thank you that you are love. Thank you that you are good. Thank you that you are alive and well and powerful and working. We submit to you. We trust you. We look to you. And if we're struggling with that, open our eyes this morning. Lead us in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray.
Thanks so much for listening. Once again, we are Restoration Church in beautiful Prescott, Arizona. And uh, if this is your first time, we're so glad that you're able to connect. If you get an opportunity, take a moment and jump over to restorationaz.org. And uh, we would love to connect with you there. You can also learn a little bit more about who we are, what we're about. And um, yeah, if uh, if you don't call Restoration home and you're still just doing the online thing, we just want to encourage you, find a place to get plugged in. It doesn't have to be Restoration Church, but there's something really valuable and important about being a part of the body of Christ together. And so once again, so glad you could tune in. And until next time, remember, Jesus is the only one who is trustworthy always, no matter the moment. So let's press on as we continue to practice the way of Jesus.